0: Yes, yeah, so we're back in Luke chapter three, but yeah, like I said, we will probably get to this repentance sheet here in the in the midst of it. I'm, I guess we never have done that then. So we'll, I think I did a radio show on that one time, but you guys are never present for the radio shows. <laughs> What's the best? Alright, so yes, we'll direct our talk away from Tom Brady and Tim Tebow and get us into Luke chapter three. Alright, so obviously we remember last time, which we didn't this was two weeks ago, we did the last time we were in Luke, Jesus was growing in wisdom and stature. We we dealt with the time then he was a boy. The only time in all of Scripture where it dealt with him then he wasn't a baby, or ready to go into his ministry. So between verses 52, chapter 2, verses 52, and chapter 3, verse 1, where we are now, there's approximately 18 years. Because we know in Luke 2.42, we dealt with that last time we were in, Jesus was 12 years old. And then, as we can see, by looking forward on the end of this Second page, um, verses chapter 3, which will be begin to beginning today, verses 20, verse 23 says, When he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age. So we go from him being 12 to him being 30. And so we have jumped 18 years between those two verses. And the date is given in verse 1. In a, uh we'll just begin. Now, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Icharia and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene, in the priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. So that is, all that first couple verses there were many ways of identifying the time. And obviously we know that Pontius Pilate was governor, he was the one who would be in charge of Jesus' sentencing. We know about Herod as we'll get to. And so this is just the way of knowing what time period this is. Again, we did what what we just said, it was about 18 years from the last scripture that we went into. Um, So, according to the notes there, it says it'd be approximately, nobody knows exactly the exact dates of this early times here, but uh, approximately would be around AD 25 or 26. And then others, others reckoned it differently that it would be 28 and 29, but it's right around that time period. But the point is, is that the the word of God began, or the word of God came to John. And this, of course, we're talking about John the Baptist, in the wilderness. And if you remember, if you remember back in um, uh, the end, last time we heard about John the Baptist, uh, chapter one, verse eighty, it said, "And the child, this is John the Baptist, continued to grow and become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the time of his public appearance to Israel." So, it appears pretty young that John the Baptist became pretty isolated and lived in the wilderness. He lived in the deserts, the wilderness, same thing, until the day of his public appearance, and that's where we are now. This is the day of his public appearance. The Word of God came to John. And so, God initiated this at his appropriate time. God is sovereign over every single detail and when everything happens as we know Jesus would always say that my time has not come, my time has not come and just another way of, of teaching that God's plan is the one that is ultimately in charge as we have talked about many times that there are true there's true creaturely freedom that is to say we're making free will choices right now we're, we're doing things that we want but ultimately everything is under the sovereignty of God he is the one in ultimate control He's more free than we are, and so he he conforms things according to his plan. He's the one who who sets the course of history and has he said it in eternity past. Everything is decreed to happen. Yet that doesn't take away the accountability of our creaturely free will free will decisions that we make. But he uses those to conform along his plan. And when our if our if what we were going to choose as a creaturely free will way would confl- conflict with what he wants, guess what, who wins? He'll change the circumstances. Just like a good, another good example is when they tried to kill Jesus before it was time, before it was crucifixion time. Didn't happen. There's many times they intended to. They tried to do this, and he would he would either disappear or walk right through them. And so that's just a way of showing that they wanted something, but it, it did not fit into God's plan, so it wasn't allowed to happen. And so, but here now, God has initiated this. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. All right, so. Let's see what kind of notes I have here. So this is where we're going to kind of jump into repentance and do the worksheet. And what we're talking about here, um, I think his note was pretty good here if I remember right. So, so I have something to pull up here. This app makes it pretty, the Takarta the, the Bible app is the best one by far. I In Matthew 3, 6 says, this is just another, um, in the other Gospels, some more information on John the Baptist when he was doing this. uh, I'll start in verse 5. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, the Jews, and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. So that's what the baptism of repentance is. They were confessing their sins, and then they were... they were repenting in anticipation of the Messiah's arrival. And so, again, we know that John the Baptist was the forerunner. and So he is preaching, that he is, he is as we'll see in the next couple of verses once we get down with the repentance page, that he is preaching, make, he's clear the path for the Lord is coming. He is, the, he is the forerunner, he's set in advance of Jesus to make the way straight for him, to prepare a people for him. And so he's preparing a people for him by having them repent, humble themselves. And that's what we're going to go into here is what exactly is repentance. It's important to know what repentance is. And I think you have to be real clear in distinguishing, as we will here in this worksheet, what repentance is and what it is not. And you have to be very, very, very clear on that. Otherwise, as you'll see, you can make salvation sound like a work of the law. And we'll get into that here in just a minute. So his baptism was a baptism of repentance. These people are confessing their sinfulness, humbling themselves in preparation for the Messiah. Now, of course, now repentance for salvation, it goes, we look back on what the Messiah has already done. But this is obviously before he's even come on the scene yet. So he's preparing a people. All right, so now we're going to take a little break from that. And we'll, we'll go through this reasonably quick. I'll read this, and then if you you just stop me if you have any questions, and that way we won't spend the whole hour on this. But it's important. So the, the topic here in this worksheet is, what is repentance? Considering salvation is conditioned on repentance, Mark 115, Luke 13, 3, on and on. There's more than that. It is vital to understand what repentance truly is. There's no doubt the gospel includes repentance. Jesus said so, Luke 24, 47. Paul said so, Acts 26, 20. And Peter said so, 2 Peter 3, 9. So first we'll deal with what, is, what it is not. Repentance is not works righteousness. That is, it does not involve a stopping or even a slowing down of sinning and they catch you off guard especially coming from a five point calvinist who abhors easy easy believism so stick with me and allow me to explain let's say a habitual thief walked up to me and asked me what he needed to do to be saved I couldn't tell him believe in Jesus and stop turn from in parentheses there stop stealing that would be salvation by faith plus works you could use that example with any violation of God's law I think a lot of people confuse repentance with the fruit of repentance which is actually a verse we're going to get to here in just a minute. Matthew 3.8, Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Acts 26.20, Performing deeds appropriate to repentance. So you see the deeds and the bearing fruit are distinguished from repentance, the actual behavior change. So to establish up front, repentance is not behavior change. Does that make sense to you? So then you ask, what is repentance? Let's begin with several biblical examples of what repentance looks like. Luke 18.13, But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Zechariah 1.6, Then they repented and said, As the Lord of hosts purposed to do to us in accordance with it, with our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. And then Matthew 5.4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Second Corinthians 7.10, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation but the sorrow of the world produces death. As you can see, repentance involves heart mourning, a deep personal confession of one's willful, continuous sin against the Holy God. It's not acknowledgement of one or a couple sins, but your sinfulness, a condition. Willful, continuous, or continuous willful rebellion against God. It also involves a plea for mercy, which communicates an understanding of the eternal wrath due for your sin. You begin to fear the Lord. Proverbs 1, seven: The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. When the Holy Spirit grants repentance, it is a sudden acute brokenness over sin, and the weight of the guilt is unbearable. It is not being sorry because of the consequences of sin. That's what the sorrow of the world was up here in uh, 2 Corinthians 7.10 where it says the sorrow of the world produces death, that's, that's being sorry because of the consequences of sin, because you got caught in some sin, and it cost you something. But because of the wickedness of sin. It involves truthful self-judgment, 1 Corinthians 11.31. Repentance is going from suppressing the truth about your condition to confessing the truth about your condition. We are all born in a sin nature, born with a sin nature, but at some point we all go from being a natural sinner to a willful sinner. And again, this is a continuous lifestyle of personal rebellion against our Creator. It is a truthful confession to God that you are totally helpless and hopeless before Him, and your only hope is total mercy based on Christ's work alone. So in a nutshell, it is humbling yourself before God. So the point, really... And we'll continue here in just a minute on that, is that repentance is a heart issue. It's an inward heart issue. Where the turning from the sin, the actual transformation that causes externally, that is the fruit of repentance. And so you have to be careful to distinguish that because what we talked what we said in the first or the second paragraph there, where it talked about where if you have a thief come up to you, or anything anybody who wants to know how to be saved, you can't say, well, you have to... If you say that, if you say, well, you have to stop committing adultery, you have to stop stealing, you have to stop lying, whatever it is, and believe, you have... You've mixed faith and works of the law to be saved. You have to say, you have to obey this command. You have, thou shalt not steal. You have to obey that command and believe in Jesus. and That's why I'm adamant to... to clarify the distinction between inner heart brokenness over the sin. you hate the sin but then the, 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 you distinguish between that and the fruit that it causes that you will. If you hate if all of a sudden the Lord grants you repentance in your heart and you hate stealing you hate any sin, then you will stop doing it. but you've got to distinguish between the two because you do not want to make salvation sound like it's a work of the law. Questions, comments, input? So maybe we did cover this before because you guys have clarity on it. Any true repentance to salvation will be traumatic, some more than others. You are, in fact, transferring from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. When God strips you and exposes you to your sinfulness, you are devastated and flee to Christ. If you have never been crushed over your sin, you should examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Now returning to our original discussion about works and change behavior as I said I'm about the farthest thing from an easy believist. What well, an easy believism is in a nutshell means that there's people who teach that you can that you just make a profession of faith but you can have zero transformation of your life and you can and you can be a Christian. Again the 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 transformation of your life is not salva is not uh what you have to do to be saved but but saving faith will always transform it will always bear fruit and so it's impossible for you to believe and not to have transformation but the transformation is post-salvation but there are people who say well yeah you can you can believe and and since salvation is all of grace well then that means you can just continue to live exactly like you were that means you're you know it's the whole lordship salvation where you can accept jesus as savior but not as lord and that's, again, there's nothing biblical about that. There's all kinds of scriptures that clearly say that saving faith always, always, always transforms. Um, so that's what easy believism believeism is. So while repentance isn't the stopping of sinning, it always leads to it. Truly asking for forgiveness means you intend to stop sinning. When you truly confess your sinfulness before God and recognize the vileness of it, the last thing you want to do is to continue in it. So if you've been granted that heart mourning over your sin, you will not want to do it anymore. So there will be a transformation, yet the transformation is not the basis of your salvation. This is a process that takes time and will obviously never be perfect until glorification, but the process will begin at salvation or you don't have salvation. In order for you to believe Jesus died for your sins, you have to know you had sins that required his death. At a very serious matter, saving faith is always penitent, always a penitent, dependent, and submissive faith. Any true God-granted repentance will always lead to drastic changes in behavior that flows out of the new heart. So again, it's not a go- you don't want to preach the gospel as if you need to be trans- you need to transform yourself in behavior change to be saved. Yet, genuine repentance is definitely part of the gospel call and that but it's a humbling yourself you confess it's not you're not trying to convince somebody to try and obey the law you're trying to convince somebody that they had never have obeyed the law and that they're worthy of wrath they're worthy of the judgment that comes from breaking god's law um we've been talking about repentance to salvation but the repentance of the believer will be a lifetime and daily repentance your salvation will be secure but your sanctification will be ongoing we are to daily confess and repent of our sins not for forgiveness in the sense of salvation but in the sense of continued or restored fellowship with God there will always be ongoing sin because of our unredeemed flesh but the mark of a saved person is there will be a struggle against it so as a new record of going through a sheet so I just wanted to read that um, and so that's what repentance is. It is a confession of sin, as we saw in Matthew three six. But it's important to know that, because the God, as we read in the very first uh, sentence there, that salvation is is conditioned upon repentance, repentance and faith. And I think one of the points that I like that I, I don't know where I picked that up from is that. When you really believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is God, and that He died for your sins and was raised from the dead, that's the gospel. You know, anybody who gets saved, they believe that Jesus is God, they believe that He died for their sins, and they believe He was raised from the dead. That's really as simple as you can make the gospel, and that you, and that you need that. And so, But if you believe He died for your sins, then you understand that you had sins that He needed to die for. And, and whenever God grants repentance, it, there's, there's a point where... It hits you it should hit you and but as I noted especially early if you're saved earlier in life you probably don't have that massive moment of mourning you will have mourning you will have you know, or if you don't have confession of sin you don't have salvation if you don't have that humbling attitude if you if you feel like you don't need if you haven't come to that point where you know you need mercy then you're not a Christian but it will be I think less intense for a younger person than it would be for an older person because you've lived a whole lifetime of sin. And so it it should hit a little harder. And then probably the depths of it, too. If you've committed more egregious sins over your life, then it probably will impact you a little bit more. But I, I say that cautiously, saying that every single sin against the Lord is egregious. All right, so that's what repentance is. For the, and you see there, you know, even in the verse that we're on there, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It's tied to salvation. Repentance is tied to salvation. All right. Verse 4. Back to John the Baptist. So he's preaching. He, he, the word of the Lord comes to him and he comes out and he's preaching a baptism or repentance. And he's addressing this to the Jews. and um, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the Prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the path the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled, and every mountain and his and every mountain in his and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight, and the rough road smooth, and all flesh will see, the salvation of God and so this is the words of Isaiah predicting John the Baptist the voice he is the voice of one crying in the wilderness and his 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 goal his task is to make ready a people for the Lord make he's straightening their paths he's calling them to repentance and I don't know if you remember when we dealt with John the Baptist earlier we talked about he came in the spirit and power of Elijah and how what that meant was Elijah's what Elijah did was he called national Israel to repentance and that's what John the Baptist is doing this is a call to the Jewish nation this is not this is not this is not a call to the Gentiles yet now as we have seen and we will see that obviously the gospel eventually goes to the Gentiles, but that's after Israel has rejected the Messiah, crucified the Messiah. So this is a call to Israel, and um, so they're he there to make their path straight. They're to prepare themselves for the coming of their Messiah. And the crooked will become straight, the rough will, roads rose smooth, and that's what repentance is. It's it's confessing sin and turning from sin. All right. In all flesh, we'll see the salvation of God. I had a note there. And I will have to look up my notes. Because my notes are very unclear sometimes to me, especially if I can't read them. Isaiah chapter 40. Okay. And so this is a quotation of. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, but I want to point out in verse, I'll just read a little bit of Isaiah chapter 40, okay? Comfort, O comfort, my people, says your God, speak kindly to Jerusalem. So this, again, is, is, a, is a word to the Jews, to Israel. And call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, and that she has received the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. Okay, that's talking about, when you talk about uh, the, that her warfare has ended and that her iniquity has been removed, we're talking about the return of Christ there. When Jesus returns first, as we've talked about many times, he, he, the Lord regenerates all of the, the surviving believing remnant at the end of the tribulation period, and, and so they all believe by regeneration And so their iniquity has been removed. They have been forgiven for their sin. And then their warfare ends. He returns and ends the warfare physically as well. And so in Isaiah chapter 40, we're talking about the context of what is quoted here is in in the context of of his second coming. And then verse 3 is where it quotes what we just read. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in a desert highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. This call is to the Jews. And it refers to, and often you see in the Old Testament, this blending of the first and second coming. And so you see there's a, quote, there's a quotation that speaks directly to, to his second coming in verse two, verse 2 of chapter 40 of Isaiah. And then in verse 3, it's talking about his first coming. But you can see how the Jews often, in, you know, they, and this is where, as we'll see later on, that John the Baptist became confused, and he actually sent a message He was in jail, and he, mess, he sent a messenger to Jesus to ask him if he was the Messiah. Okay, we're talking about John the Baptist here the one who was born in his mother's womb, full of the Holy Spirit, leaped in joy. And so obviously he knew who who Christ was and Messiah baptized him and everything else. And yet he got confused later on because he was expecting the kingdom to be established. Because the, you see when you read these Old Testament prophecies about the kingdom and about the coming of Messiah, you don't see what's not shown, the mystery of the church age in between his first and second coming. And so you see this. First coming, second coming. So when they, whenever um, they would see the the prophecies about Messiah coming and understand, okay, here he is. Here's our Messiah. Our kingdom's right there. That's why in Acts one, chapter uh, chapter one, verse seven, they ask him, Is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because they expected his. They didn't see him living, dying, everything else in the but especially the ascension in the in the two thousand year break that we're in right now. That was never shown. That was the mystery of the church age. That was not shown in the Old Testament. All right. Questions, comments? Yeah. That means I'm doing a good job. No no tomatoes being thrown at me yet. I'll put a helmet on and I'll duck. All right, verse 7, so he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? All right, so obviously these people who are coming out to be baptized here, it's because he's, this is John the Baptist speaking to the crowds who are coming to be baptized, and he's calling them a brood of vipers. I know, that's... Nice. Yeah, yes, that's what they were. They were... They were not saved, obviously, they were not truly repentant. They were not coming out because they were humble. They were coming out, they were the, the leaders of the Pharisees, the people that Jesus would deal with down the road. and these people were not obviously coming out to be baptized because they were humble, but they were coming out to to see what was going on. <clears throat> and John the Baptist, of course, knew what they were doing. but one of the points I, I, you see here is, at the end of the verse there where it talks about who warns you to flee from the wrath to come. That's what salvation is. It's, it's salvation is salva- it's being saved from the wrath of God. And so, I always note that every time I see that in Scripture, there's many places, Romans 5, First Thessalonians, several places where it talks about where the salvation that we are saved from is the wrath of God that's due for our sin. All right, but obviously these people were not truly repentant. Repentant. Therefore, verse 8, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham, for our father, for I say to you that these from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the tree, so every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So this is what we talked about here in the repentance sheet there a minute ago where it talks about bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You see the distinguishing between the fruits of repentance and repentance. The fruits is the behavior change that comes from the broken inward brokenness over sin. And so, a lot of times, these people would say, "Well, we're fine with God." A lot of the Jews thought that we're fine with God because we're ethnically Jewish. As we, you know, I don't know if you remember in Romans when we went through that. We we went through several places that we showed, obviously, that because you're born ethnically a Jew is has never saved anybody. Old Testament never saves anybody now. That there's no there's personal saving faith in. The Messiah to come in the Old Testament and the Messiah who, Messiah who has come in the New Testament in the area we, the time we live in now is what saves, personal faith. Ethnicity never saved anybody, but obviously a lot of these Jews had convinced themselves that just because we we're children of Abraham as our, either ethnically Jewish that they were right with God because of that alone. And he, he challenges that here, you can see. He says, we have Abraham, or he says, do not say to you, do not begin to say that you have Abraham as your father, and so you're okay with God. And then he goes on to say, for I, have, for I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. All right, now that's an interesting discussion there. Okay, What does it mean that God can raise up from these stones um, children of Abraham? I had a couple of verses here that I wrote down that we can go through. All right. Isaiah 51 1 says this listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord, look to the rock from whom you were with, from who you were hewn, and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who gave birth to you in pain. So you see in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 1 and 2, that Abraham and Sarah are referred to as the rock from which they were hewn, And so you see there's a... a, He's using that terminology there. Um, You can see that maybe that is referring to Isaiah 51. Um, And also... In Ezekiel 36, 26, it says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And so you see in the Old Testament that the stony heart is referred to as the hardened heart, or it is the hardened heart where... um, where you need a heart, you, the heart of stone is the dead in sin. So you're, if you have a heart of stone, then your heart is dead in sin, and you need regeneration, and God takes out the heart of stone, that's what happens in salvation, he takes out your heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh that is alive towards the Lord, towards God. You're spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. And so that could be another reference that this is, too. And also, I think just the 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 idea that God can do God can raise up children from anything he, it's he doesn't necessarily he doesn't need obviously he doesn't need an ethnic line to raise up to bring people to him but I think if you notice that there's a reference there to there's a heart of stone reference in ezekiel thirty six and then in in isaiah fifty one there's that reference as well. And also, we are, as we've as we been through a few times, that we are spiritually, spiritually, we're not obviously we're not we're gentiles, so we're not ethnically Jewish. We don't come from the line through from Abraham through Isaac. We're not ethnically Jewish, but we're Gentiles. And yet in Galatians chapter 3, verses 28, it says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's neither male nor female, neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. And so, in a sense, again, we're not ethnically a Jew, but we are spiritually a Jew because we belong to Christ. Who obviously came through the Jewish line according to the flesh. And so I don't know, maybe I'd overread a lot of that, but I thought whenever I saw that that reference of that he can raise up children to Abraham from these stones, I thought, well, maybe it's pulling from some of those verses. All right, any input? Come on, you guys had to have some questions. Well that um, interaction I demanded It says guys they were of like stones to raise up children and to Abraham well he created man out of dust. So that's another good point. Question. Good point. Yes. All right, what are you you were gonna say something? <laughs> Go ahead and shoot. No, your your questions I are just always. I want to see what this has to do with repentance, the stones. Oh, well, we're no, we're beyond repentance now. No. Okay. Yeah, we're done. Were we, well, we, the discussion we had on repentance was in, with, with verse three. The Jews felt like they didn't need repentance because they have Abraham for their father. Right. Good, they good point. Given to them, but not so. Good point. But yeah, the point, we're not really specifically breaking down repentance anymore. Okay. But we're, yes, these Jews are coming along to John the Baptist who's preaching, baptizing people for repentance, and they don't want repentance, but it does say they're coming for repentance. I mean, that's what it said in verse 7. So he, he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized. Okay, so they're coming out to be baptized, but then what does he do? He calls them brood of vipers. So you know that they're genuinely not repentant, or he wouldn't say that to them. So what's the whole theme on that? Um I thought I didn't clarify that. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> she doesn't with a summary of it. Summary of it was well, like Dad said, Jewish ethnicity doesn't save you. He that's, that's clear. Alright. But yes, we are I guess we are in a sense still talking about verse eight, therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance. But his point was that you got to repent and humble yourself. You can't count on they couldn't count on their Jewishness saving them, okay. which is what they were what they were, what they were thinking of. Okay. Yes, only only if you if you have not humbled yourself before the Lord, and this is all the way through time, then you don't have saving faith in Him. Saving faith is always humble. So these people are coming out proud, Pharisaical. And they're, they're either claiming they're usually counting on their works of the law, their ceremonial law, or just their ethnicity. And that's what John addressed there is, is you can't say we have Abraham. Abraham being, being born in the line of anybody. And that can apply now in Christianity is that there's people who think, well, I'm, I'm a son of a pastor. I'm in a Christian family. It, you just have this inclination to associate yourself as being a Christian because you're in a family of Christians. Same thing. You have to exercise personal saving faith and in, in repentance yourself. No, the, you've heard it said the God has it's well said that God has no grandchildren. There's no you don't nobody gets saved through somebody else's uh, for you know Christianity or their salvation. You have to exercise it personally yourself. So so that's a good application point here. But as for the raising of stones. I've got- me well, but I got it. All right. But yes, I need interaction because I sometimes I feel like I'm just reading to you all, and I just want to make sure you're I'm there and but I'm don't be afraid. Um, and okay, don't tell me I'll say something about it. And don't worry about the uh, audience we don't have. <laughs> okay. All right. So all right, we're up to date then. We're up to date. So verse 9, Indeed the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, so every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you can see, well, you see here the the immediacy and imminency, the imminency of judgment when it talks about the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. So you're cutting down a tree, cut it cut it down, and then you get down to the root, and you've got the axe already Laid at the roots, you've lined it up, and you're ready to cut the tree. That shows you the. This is referring to the imminency of judgment, and so this is a serious issue. Um, of course, judgment can come. Anybody who's who's alive, their judgment will come when they die. Man is set to die once, and then the judgment. And so, the the urgency of salvation is always to be um, emphasized and this way. Our primary task as evangelists is, to, is such an important task because everybody who's alive right now is one breath away from facing God, facing a holy God, and if, the, and if they have not done what we've talked about here, that if they have not repented and humbled themselves, then they will be judged according to their own life. And, as we've noted, the Bible teaches clearly in many places, James 2.10, Galatians 3.10, many other places, that one, one sin damns people. And, of course, nobody has one sin. Any unbeliever is the only thing they're always doing is sin, sinning. And so the urgency of this, you see that there when the, you know, it talks about the axe being laid at the root of the trees. And, that, and here's the thing. So every tree that does not bear good fruit... Is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so you look at that and you think, okay, now this is obviously descriptive. That is to say, we're not saying this is not saying that in order to be right with God and avoid judgment, you need to bear fruit. That's that's work salvation. That's not what we're talking about here. But every tree that every tree that does not bear good fruit, again, the distinction between in verse nine there where it says bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So a person who has genuinely repented into salvation and trusted in Christ, believed in him, trusting in his work alone, will bear good fruit. And so there's all kinds of scriptures that talk about that what are called descriptive of salvation or descriptive of people who have saving faith. And this is one of them, that if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're not bearing good fruit, that means you have not been saved. You're not saved by your good fruit. You're by your good fruit, but you will bear good fruit. Any saved person will bear good fruit, and if you don't bear good fruit, then that means you don't believe, and then you will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And obviously, that fire is judgment, the eternal lake of fire. And so, but do you understand there that that's, that is talking about a description of a saved person? So you always gotta be clear that we're not saying, all right, produce good fruit. You don't you don't need to believe in Christ, you just need to bear good fruit in order not to be judged. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying that anybody who is genuinely converted will bear good fruit. All right. Verse ten. Questions, comments? Mm -mm. All right. So I did a good job there. Mm No, I, I want engagement. We need engagement. I understood. All right. That's what I like about Pastor Faith in Sunday School. At least he, he, can, he gets involved. Make sure you paid attention there. All right. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? And he, he would answer and say to them, The man who has two tunics should share with the one who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. You mean there were people walking around naked? I guess so. That's what it looks like. If you have no tunic, then yeah, I don't know how that goes. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. See, so yeah, if you see somebody naked, if you want to be saved, cover him. <laughs> cover him up. And he, who, and he who has food is to do likewise. So if you see somebody who doesn't have food, you give him food. And you have food, give him food. And some tax collectors came to him to be baptized. And they said to him, okay, so they were coming to be baptized for repentance. And they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you have been ordered to. And then some soldiers were questioning him, saying, "What? And what about us? What, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. All right, that paragraph is interesting. And so kind of what we just talked about here, okay, in a sense they're asking, okay, what shall we do to be right with God? Okay, so what, we're, what it's not saying here is that, okay, if you want to be saved, then if you have two tunics and you give one to somebody else, or if you have food you share, you know, the, down the list here, these people had already, they had a repentant heart. And that's indicated by the question, what shall we do? There, they, they were. You see how that, that shows that they were. Uh oh, I'm in trouble. What shall I do? And so they're asking to describe the fruit, or to you know, they're asking John the Baptist here, what is the fruit of repentance that they need to do? But this is again the same issue here. We're not saying you're to be saved, you have to do these things. But it, but it is demonstrating. It is a description of what the fruits look like. Okay. And so does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So they're saying, all right, what shall we do? They have a bro- that question implies they have the they have that repentance. And so these people who are coming in verse twelve, they were coming or they were coming to be baptized. So they were they were coming genuinely, unlike the Pharisees who were coming out of challenge and who knows what else, these people were actually genuinely repentant and you can see that but they're saying, Okay, what do we do? and so he's he's demonstrating to them the fruit of repentance what is the fruit of repentance and addressed here is usual sin their usual sinful activity it's not necessarily saying well okay now if you're a tax collector then here's here's your one deed that you have to do to demonstrate that you have saving faith or this this is a description of just typical sinful activity and here obviously you see greed is A lot of greed is dealt with here. Where he's saying if you if you've got two tunics and you see somebody else who doesn't have one, you should not be greedy and keep both of them for yourselves. That's covetousness. Commandment number ten. You should share the extra one that you have. And the same things with the tax collectors. Don't don't collect any more than you need. Don't be greedy. Don't take more than you need to. Take what's fair. That's again, that's dealing with covetousness and greed. And then the soldiers specifically says he says do not take money from anyone by force. So that's again dealing with greed. Don't don't take more. Don't take money from people by force that you're not entitled to. And then also there or don't accuse anyone falsely. So that's dealing with commandment number nine. And so so this is not specifically saying. You, you, the, the point I'm trying to make is these you know like like okay now if you're this worker then this is your repentant attitude. Or this is your repentant deed or your fruit. And if you're this worker, this is your fruit. You see how this is really just dealing with the, the law of God in general, but specifically applied to what they do. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That we're dealing with greed here. We're not dealing with okay tunics and this and that. Okay. But yes, Dad is right. If you see if you see somebody naked, throw a tunic on them, and you'll be and you'll be right. <laughs> All right. So does that make sense, though? So they are—they already had the repentant heart, right? And they're asking for the fruit. Again, we're the kind of the whole theme of this thing today is distinguishing between the repentant, inward, broken heart. They're humbled, and that is something that is biblically granted by God, all over the place. Repentance is granted. So when God grants genuine repentance by His Spirit, you're going to have this broken attitude. They're like, "Uh oh, what do I do?" That's the same thing with the jailer when he asked Paul what must I do to be saved because he was about to kill himself because he was, uh, I can't remember exactly the circumstances, either there was an earthquake or something happened where they got freed and he panicked because he was in trouble and then Paul came back and he, and he, he said we're here, don't, don't harm yourself and, and the, God granted that, that jailer repentance at that time because he looked at and said what, what do I do to be saved? So that's that that's the that's the repentant attitude. You're looking for mercy. Where do I go for mercy? It's not, well, I'm gonna turn from my sin and you know I'm gonna stop doing this so I can be saved. I'm gonna stop doing this so I can be saved. But your but your heart is like, okay, there's nothing I won't do to be saved. That's what repentance looks like. Because God has granted that. You, he's granted you the fear of God. But, but Jesus hasn't come yet. Now we're still this is the very first uh, Well yeah we dealt with him obviously does not in his ministry. No, this is before Jesus ministry begins. Right, but he is he's almost 30. I mean He's alive. He's about Right. He's 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 in he's in the area. But yeah, he has not this is the, the word is still in the forerunning stage. He is he is preparing a way for the Lord. No, he's not the one granting spiritual, genuine repentance in the heart, no. That's God. And that's not necessarily even, I mean, that's God in general. The Father, the Spirit, the Son, the Baptist, yes. John the Baptist is... He's just preaching, and the Lord is using, yeah. and that's how preaching is. Although God grants repentance in the heart through his Spirit, and, and you could have a man preaching the gospel all day long, and if right. the Spirit doesn't do something in somebody's heart, nothing happens. Except actually, it hardens the heart even more. When when somebody hears the gospel and they don't respond, it just hardens them more. That's all it does. But the Spirit grants repentance through the preaching of the Word. So the the two are not separate. Or through the Scriptures. Does that make so? He's preaching. Repent, repent. Your your Messiah is coming. He's on the scene. He's he's imminent. He's close. Humble yourselves. And so, and so the Spirit uses the preaching of the Word to do this in the heart. But the, but the Spirit does that, and this only the Spirit can break the hardness of the heart. Only the Spirit, as we talked about in Ezekiel 26, can take that that take out that heart of stone and put on a heart of flesh. And that's what regeneration is. It is making one who is spiritually dead, who loves sin and hates God, and making them spiritually alive. At, in an instant, this is not a pro, This is not a process. Regeneration is not a process. Sanctification is a process. Regeneration is instantaneous where, like I said, you go from hating God, loving sin, hardened heart, dead in sin, to being made alive, loving God, hating sin, and so it's just the opposite. Again, you're not completely wiped out of sin, but you have that moment of, oh, I'm in trouble. That's what I always like to say. And when it comes to, especially when it comes to repentance, you're like, man, I'm in trouble. In the, you know, on my tract and what we on the sheet that we blew through, thirteen. I think it's Luke, um, Luke eighteen thirteen, where he the tax collector says, "Be merciful to me, a sinner, the sinner." That is that is what if you want to. If you I always say, if you want a nutshell, repentance. Read Luke chapter eighteen, verse thirteen. just you have that moment where you know you need he won't even lift his head the other guy in the temple is bragging about how wonderful he is how he ties and he does this and this and and this guy won't even look up he's so ashamed of himself because he's been granted repentance and he's the one the next verse says goes home justified where the other man goes home dead in sin even though he's (laughs) he's thinking he's right with god he's not so can you repent more than once yeah, well, okay, that's a good question. See, now I'm liking these questions. Is repentance into salvation, that's what we dealt with primarily in this sheet. At the very last paragraph there, if you look at it, it says, we, we were talking about repentance into salvation, and that's what we're talking about here. Is there is one moment, there is only one repentance into salvation, and that's permanent. You When you genuinely repent by the power of God, and you believe the gospel, you believe that Jesus Christ is God, you don't, it's not, salvation is not believing in God, it's believing that Jesus Christ, the man, is God, and that he lived perfectly, he died for your sins, and was raised from the dead, and you trust in his work, that's what salvation is, you're trusting only in the work of Christ, but that is included, repentance is included there, and that's only, the repentance into salvation is only one time, and it's permanent, you're sealed by the Spirit, it's over, but then as I said at the end there, the repentance of the believer is a lifetime of daily repentance. But I said that your salvation will be secure, but your sanctification will be ongoing. We are to daily confess and repent of our sins, not for forgiveness in the sense of salvation, but in the sense of a restored fellowship with God. And it's just, just because you're saved doesn't mean he's going to let you run amok, obviously, and be sinful. And we are sinful, but... But the repentance is not. You're not gaining forgiveness, and you're not losing. That's not what's being determined there. It is just. But it. But it is fruit. The fruit of salvation is the ongoing life of repentance. And that. And the repentance starts in the heart, and then it changes. So if you get involved in a sin as a Christian, you're not going to change that sin until God has convicted you of it in your heart, and then you repent. You repent. You humble yourself before the Lord, and that is an ongoing process. Yes. But that again, this salve, what we're dealing with here, with the crowds here going to John the Baptist and everything, we're talking about salvation, repentance into salvation. Because we know that, because in verse three, it says he's preaching baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So that's why we know we're talking about salvation there. That's what salvation is. Salvation is. Like we're talking about our dear friend Mr. Tebow, in the whole. I, know I hate to pick on him, but in the whole, come to come to God because He's got a better plan for your life. That's not the gospel. You come to God because you need the forgiveness of sins, and so any gospel that doesn't include conviction of sin and wrath is not a gospel. And that's where I struggle with that. I humbly struggle with that that gospel of come to Him for obviously the prosperity gospel is is complete garbage. But even that, if you emphasize the benefits of salvation. In the gospel proclamation you can confuse people because yes God does have a better plan for your life if you're an unbeliever and you're living dead in your sins and you're doing whatever you want yeah obviously when God's got a better idea for you than you doing nothing but sin but that's not what salvation is that's a benefit of salvation salvation is you come on your face for the forgiveness of sins you humble yourself you do what we're talking about here you repent and you confess your sinfulness, and then, yeah, the plan that God's for your life, He will change, and He will take you from your old plan of nothing but wickedness, and put you on plan of righteousness. But that's not why you come, because you can say, you can easily say, well, hey, you know what? If God's got a better plan for my life, I, I got plans for my life, but hey, maybe His is better than mine. So you see, there's no, there's no humility there. There's just, hey, He's got something better. You you got to be careful of that. That's all I'm saying. You, know, you Gotta be real careful with that. But obviously, with like with the prosperity gospel, they'll just flat out say, "You, you come to Jesus and He'll make you healthy, wealthy, you know, with miracles and all that other stuff." So that's just blatantly heretical. But even even somebody who preaches the plan, the guys got a better plan for your life. Salvation is. It's not the gospel. That's not the the the. That's not the reason why you need to come to Him. You need to come to Him because you are under your. You're at war with God, and it's not going to end well. Eternal dor- torment in hell is not something anybody wants to end up in. And that's what will happen. That's the just judgment for sin, even if we don't understand that perfectly. So there's the issue. All right. Gonna, we got any more time or not? Yeah, we. I guess we're about done. So that's about where I planned on. So yes, yeah, so we'll call this one. This one is with a question. See, I need the I need the so imprint. the last verse that we did here? Verse 14. 14. Okay. We'll start with the 50 grain start money. Uh, yeah. Don't Yeah, don't hold up people for money. That is a fruit. Yeah, that was that was good. That
1: was, I, Praise I, the Lord.
0: I got,
1: I got Thank you no, and like until next I'm, time.
0: Until next time, my customers.